1: Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my pleading dying. The reading of the word this morning is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, For those of you using the Blue Pew Bible, uh, you can find that beginning on page 967, 967. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, hear the words of our Lord. Verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflown in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, In knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out, which you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased at your burden, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at, at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, He is going to you of his own accord with him. We are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than, uh, than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ." So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. The word of our Lord.
0: I want to uh, pray for uh, several people before we uh, come to the word. And I tried, uh, is Tom Stoy here? Tom, does anybody remember the name of his son? Daniel, thank you. I I, I, I drew a blank this morning, and I thought I could find it in my emails, and I just couldn't, and I wanted his name before I prayed uh, for him. Let us uh, pray as we come to God's Word and think about our congregation. Lord, we thank you that you are the shepherd of your sheep. You care for all the needs of your people. You know how many needs there are of every kind within our congregation, Lord. We thank you that you are the shepherd not only for us as a whole, but individually. Even as David said, the Lord is my shepherd. We thank you, Lord, that you have a personal commitment to do us good individually and to do us good as a body, as your church. We thank you, Lord, that you nourish us and cherish us because we are your body. We thank you that we are the very temple of the Holy Spirit. We praise you that you so love each member of this body. We pray, Lord, for those in our congregation now looking for work. We pray for those who are concerned about their own job situation. We praise you commanded us, give us this day our daily bread. We are encouraged that having commanded us to pray that, you will meet our needs as you have promised. May we not be worried because you care for the flowers of the field and the birds of the sky. How much more will you care for your children? We pray for Lynn Whitley recovering at Stonegate and we pray for Bob Emerson as well at Stonegate, especially in preparation for his surgery on Tuesday on his leg. Oh, Lord, we pray that this surgery would be successful and it will remove this problem and he could be restored and be able to go home. And we pray for Lynn that she will be strengthened and, Lord, that she'll be able to return to her home. We pray for the family of Ed Lothar and his passing earlier this month. And, Lord, we pray that you would give them the comfort of Christ and they would continually be drawn after you And we pray for Steve and Rebecca Allen, for Whitney, Isabella, and Reagan, and the loss of Rebecca's father, John Murphy, this past Tuesday. We pray for his wife, Judy, and their long marriage of almost 50 years, that you would bring her comfort, Lord, in this devastating loss, this loss that tears one's insides out. We pray, Lord, that you would... Draw them all after Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would use this to manifest your goodness and greatness to them in Christ. We pray as well for Mark Roberts and Daniel Stoy as they are overseas in Afghanistan. Lord, that you would protect them, that you would cause them to trust you. Lord, that you would give them grace to manifest your glory in every way they can in that place. You would draw them after Yourself. Lord, we pray that uh, You would bring them back safely. We pray, Lord, for the best possible ending of that conflict there, for the sake of righteousness and justice, for the sake of the gospel and uh, ongoing kingdom of Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we come to Your Word, bless us. Give us eyes to understand. Give us hearts to embrace it, lives that conform to it. Give us your grace, O Lord, as we come to this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we're going to focus on verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. We saw uh, two weeks ago how Paul lays before the Corinthians, the amazing example of the Macedonians, the people that lived in Philippi and Thessalonica, and how they gave themselves so freely and gave so freely of their uh, goods, their wealth, to support the poor in Jerusalem. Paul is going around the Mediterranean basin now, taking up a collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. He's so concerned that the Gentiles will show their love and support for um, their mainly Jewish brethren uh, in Christ in Jerusalem. And he gives this great example of the Macedonians, uh, their eager love, their giving of themselves, their begging for the privilege, even though they're poverty stricken. They had a great joy in spending themselves for their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And you'll notice in the verse right before uh, our passage in verse 8, he says that I'm not giving this just as a command so that you just feel obligated to give. Uh, I I don't want just uh, kind of a, a reluctant obedience. I want you to have stirred in your heart the same love that they have. In fact, I I, I talk about this so that the same earnest love of the Macedonians will just show itself in your heart as well. You'll manifest that that's your heart. There'll be an echo in your heart of the Macedonian love. And he says, that's why I'm proving by this earnest love, they have shown the love of God in Christ. They've shown his love the way they wanted to give. And I believe that this is going to come forth in your heart as well. And then he says... For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. As though he says, and the ultimate example of earnest, joyful love, the ultimate, supreme example of this love that the Macedonians is just a copy of, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is our Lord, He defines our lives. There can be no other Christian life, Paul assumes here, than the one that more and more looks like Jesus Christ himself who lavishly gave himself away for us. That's the only Christian life that's assumed in the Scriptures. We are called to it. It's assumed that when Christ's life is in you, it will more and more conform as you and I give ourselves away as Christ gave himself away. And so, the question for ourselves at the outset, how can we say that we're living out the new life we have in Christ and that life not be one of eager sacrifice and generosity? How could it be anything else? If it's the life of this Christ, the spirit of this Christ that indwells us, this Christ who though he was rich, impoverished himself for our sake. So you see, in this area of giving, he calls us just to look at Jesus Christ. He didn't talk about the tithe here. He talks about something a lot bigger. Some of us, if we really did the facts and figures and we did a little calculation, a little math, we'd realize, well, gosh, I'm only giving 1% or 2% or 3%. And And you kind of think, well, at least we should be giving what generally was understood in the Old Testament of 10%. But then we have to ask the question, in the light of Jesus Christ, in the light of his lavish sacrifice, how do the people of God spontaneously, joyfully give away themselves and their possessions for the sake of Jesus Christ? That's the challenge of a passage like this. He doesn't say how much, does he? He says, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who impoverished himself to make us rich. End of story. (laughs) End of argument. That's the whole of his logic in a sense. You notice how he says, you know this grace. They've understood this grace. They've encountered this grace. Grace here, you could translate it as a generous kindness or maybe even generosity. So that Christ's generosity is shown in how he impoverished himself for us. His grace shows itself in his character in action. Love in action, spending itself lavishly for us. Cranfield calls this, he defines this phrase, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, it denotes the utterly undeserved, I love this phrase, royally free, like kingly. You know, it, It's unhindered. Nobody can stop it. And it's sovereign. It does whatever it wants to. It's not coerced. So, this undeserved, royally free, effective, unwearying, inexhaustible goodwill of Jesus Christ. That's His grace pouring forth, overflowing all boundaries, reaching anybody and everybody in its wake. Passionate, glorious. God rejoices in spending Himself lavishly for the good of those who deserve nothing. That's the grace of Jesus Christ. And the grace is shown in particular in how He, rich, became poor. His richness here points to His pre-existent state before His incarnation. It points to the glory He had before He entered the world. As Jesus Himself in John 17 spoke of the glory that He had with His Father before the world began. And later in John 17 He says, You loved Me before the foundation of the world. And so there is this glory of the heavenly existence, the divine existence in eternity. And He chose to abandon that existence. He chose to put that aside. Though he dwelt in the bosom of the Father or at the Father's side, he left that heavenly life to enter into the the humiliation of his life here. The humiliation of taking upon himself flesh and being subject to the powers of this world that he has always been Lord over. always been. He's created the world. He sustains the world. He now takes upon himself flesh and submits to the very powers of the world and the suffering and pain of this world. So it was a self-chosen poverty which he embraced by forsaking his heavenly glory. And this word, when it speaks of becoming poor, is not just to say I'm a poor person, but I'm a beggar. I'm desperately poor. It The noun used here as well means destitution, absolute destitution. And it's important to understand that the the person of Christ sometimes we think well why do we spend all this time worrying about the nature of, of Jesus his godhead and his his humanity but this is where it's really important he is god and man but he's one person he's just one person so you have to say he there's only one he can't say well god this and man you know i, I understand that it's his humanity alone could be pierced on the cross. But He, He, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only person, He suffered. He suffered. He had no place to lay His head. He sweat drops of blood and said that He was on the point of complete emotional collapse in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was betrayed by his close follower. He was abandoned by all his closest friends. He was denied by his most vocal supporter, Peter. He, this one person, he was beaten and crowned with thorns. He was mocked and spit upon. He was scourged so that his back and legs were ripped open 39 times to become basically hamburger. He, the one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, carried his cross and fell in exhaustion. He died without a single possession. Even the clothes he wore were stripped off him by the soldiers responsible for his execution. His feet and wrists were pierced with spikes. He was raised above the earth and hung helplessly exposed on the cross. He struggled to breathe, pushing himself up against the nails in his feet, and his back, against the wood. And the loss of body fluids made him desperately, severely dehydrated. He said, the Lord of glory, he said, I am thirsty. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Murphy O'Connor says, He became poor by accepting the radical impoverishment of a degrading and humiliating death in which everything was taken from him. And Barrett calls it the absolute naked poverty of crucifixion. The absolute naked poverty of crucifixion. But you know the emphatic word here? The emphatic word, first place is, for you. For you. Though he was rich, he became poor. For you. He did it all for our sake. So that through his poverty, we might become rich. Philip Hughes says, no other else has impoverished himself as he did. No one was richer than he. None became poorer than he. But you see, this this impoverishment was absolutely necessary for our enrichment. It was by his poverty, Paul says here. By his poverty. And here again, the the emphatic word is you. (laughs) You. so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. And we can only touch at the richness that's spoken of here, so that by His poverty, you would know the forgiveness of sin, so that by His poverty, you would know what it is to cry out, Abba, Father, by the Holy Spirit within you, so that by His poverty you would have the riches of being now the temple of God, your body a temple of God, the people as a whole, the temple of God. The riches by His poverty of dying to your old life and being raised to a new life. The glory by His poverty of those who now so belong to Him that we are called holy, separated out, belonging to Him exclusively, His own private possession, His own jewels over which He rejoices. And now... We have the riches that His power is toward us who believe. His unlimited power is directed toward us to release us from sin so that He is always working in us to will and to do for His good pleasure. We have a community of brothers and sisters. We have the fellowship of God's people. We have gifts that that are interlocking and interdependent. We have the mutual encouragement of brothers and sisters. We have the privilege of being a little picture of the love of God in a dark world. We've been made glorious. We're we're the light of the world. We sinners are light of the world. He says, Paul, you were the darkness. Now you're the light. The riches that, that flow to us in Christ... He goes to prepare a place for us. Paul says he will come from heaven where our citizenship is and he will come and conform our lowly bodies into the likeness of his own glorious body. We will be raised even as Jesus is raised. Completely free from sin. Bodies that are glorious and powerful in a way we can't even understand. So that in the ages to come he will spend his life lavish capacity and kindness toward us forever. He even says in that day, you will sit at table and I will come and serve you as an indication that he will be utterly devoted to our good and happiness forever because of his unlimited resources. And so Paul can say, as part of the riches that we have, if God is for you, who can be against you? What can be against you? All things work together for your good. He will cause all good to come to you. Nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ. He even says at the end of 1 Corinthians, all things are yours, life and death and the present and the future. They all belong to you because they're servants in his hands to do you good. And he says that we groan and wait for the revelation of the sons of God when the whole of creation will be made glorious and be transformed. And the city of God will descend from heaven. And we will dwell in the presence of God forever. If he had not impoverished himself utterly and completely, we would not tasted one bit of that. It's through his impoverishment, choosing to impoverish himself that we have these riches. And Paul says, looking at that, how will you spend your life? How will you make use of your wealth? How will you make use of your gifts and your time? What will you do with this Jesus? It can't be a casual thing with Jesus. He just doesn't allow that. He is Lord. And just reject him. Just say, I don't want any part of this, spending your life completely and utterly for the good of other people. Just leave me out of it. Or you just have to embrace the whole thing and say, I'm in. Here's my life. Oh, Lord, claim me, remake me, give me new motives Give me new desires. Give me the new heart you promised. Fill me with your spirit. Lord, save me. Save me from myself. Save me from myself. Make me like you. That I would give myself away even as you... And and remember, as God came, this was the revelation of God. Look what God does. God impoverishes Himself for the good of others. That is God's love that we get to live out and enter into His joy in doing so. Let us pray. O gracious Lord, bless us that we may understand and embrace the glorious love of Jesus Christ, that we will trust You Lord, if you have done this to enrich us, we pray that we will not, nobody here would turn a deaf ear to you this day. No one here will shut their heart to you, but will say, oh Lord Jesus, how can I not trust you? How can I not put my life into your hands that you would cleanse me of my sins, you who have died on the cross to take away sin, that you will be my Lord, that you will govern my life, that you will transform me, poor, pathetic, helpless me, even as I and so many others here have prayed. Thank you, Lord, for a salvation that reaches down to right where we are in all of our sinfulness and all of our helplessness and draws us up to the very throne of God and embraces us forever. Thank you, Lord, that through your poverty, we have been made rich.
1: Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to
0: nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America.
1: Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh,
0: come with blissful rain.